Hello everyone, welcome to our latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. Um, that's a long uh, way of saying hello to our podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. If you've been listening to our podcast series, now we're past 40 episodes. Uh, you've heard a lot of different perspectives from healthcare workers and professionals to uh, people with ALS, uh, people who are in government, uh, people who have been fundraisers, and, and many more who have their own unique perspectives when it comes to living with ALS or being affected by it. Um, but today, and really this month of November, we're focusing a lot on some important aspect of ALS and of other diseases as well, and that's caregivers. November is National Caregivers Month. And while our chapter serves over 1,200 people living with ALS, there are thousands more who can call themselves caregivers in one way or another, uh, whether as a professional, like working with a home care agency, or as a nurse, or a social worker, or as a spouse, as we will hear today, or as a parent, a uh, child, an aunt, a neighbor, we all find that we depend on caregivers for many things, whether we have ALS or even just in daily life with other diseases or, or events that happen, and we want to show appreciation for that. Uh, before we get into our conversation with our guest, Kristen Colby, today, um, you'll recognize Kristen and her husband, Craig, from our uh, advertisements for our upcoming annual luncheon, which is on Friday, November 13th. So a week from today, unless you're listening to this podcast later, in which it was it happened in the past, and hopefully it was great. So um, we hope you can sign up at alsphiladelphia.org slash luncheon, and you can also find more ways to get involved at www.alsphiladelphia.org, or find us on social media, all at ALS Philadelphia. And our, our guest today, Kristen Colby, is used to all of those places, our Facebook, our Twitter, our YouTube, our ma- mailings, and our website. And so Kristen, thanks for venturing out and joining our podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you inviting me. So, Kristen and I uh, and Craig have known you for a few years now. Um, yeah. It almost seems you're so integral to our chapter. Uh, people don't know that the Colbys have been to our hot chocolate event. You were just at our Greater Philadelphia Walk to Defeat ALS. You obviously come to the Phillies <laughs> Festival. Um, you've done some volunteering in other ways as ambassadors. Uh, you have also been to the annual luncheon before, I believe. So you, you've been involved in many ways. Do you have any favorite things with the chapter that you've done? Anything that has to do with the chapter is our favorite thing. I I can honestly say that without the chapter and some chapter's help, Craig would not be doing as well as he's doing. I mean, I really can't, we lost him in the walk. That was the very first thing we ever did. Um, Craig was diagnosed October 1st of 2008, so the next big thing that happened was the walk um, in mid-November, and we have been doing them ever since, so it's been, we've done eight walks this year, this was years was our eighth walk. And has, what, what's so special about the walk to defeat ALS? I was really excited to see you guys this year, may have been your favorite walk because Cody Ashey from the Phillies, who's yeah. also just a personal friend of yours at this point, was there. Um, so That's- what do you like about the walks? You know, it's really the sense of community. Really, you there's not a time that you don't enter that area of the walk that you don't feel a giant embrace from everybody that's there. 
everybody's taking time in their day, we're celebrating lives, we're honoring lives, we're, you know, remembering the people that we've lost. Um, it's just a very special, loving environment that is meant for everybody to feel safe. And for us, it was our first um, real way of fighting back this disease. Um, fighting might not be the best word for it, but when you are given this diagnosis, you don't know what to do. I mean, it's kind of, it flips your life upside down. So for Craig and I, the only thing that we could think of doing was, was fighting back, and that was trying to raise money to find a cure, um, to prolong his life, to prolong other people's lives, and so for us to watch everything about it is special. We always have about 30 or 40 people. Um, you know, as much as you keep seeing new teams coming in, because that means new people have been diagnosed, um, we want to be able to provide a, a safe and caring environment for all those people. And Craig is always, you know, the first person to say hi to somebody new or introduce himself or talk and, he really kind of made himself a face, so anybody that has questions could come to him or, or I about how we've, you know, managed thus far. And so you talk about the walk being, having a, uh-oh, um, so we're on the phone apparently, as you all can help. I'll can tell here. Um, so Kristen, you talk about how the walk provides a sense of community for people with ALS like Craig. But the walk also presents a sense of community for caregivers like yourself. Because I know at the walk, like you said, there's teams with 5, 10, 30, sometimes hundreds of people. And yeah. so what's that like in terms of being able to connect with other people that are going through that same caregiving experience? You know, for the caregiving aspect, you know, really it's, it's you know, bouncing ideas off of each other, just being able to... Uh, you know, have a share a smile or a laugh with somebody. You know, those little things that you don't think you'll need or miss that um, you do need. So, you know, it's just it's nice things like that that, you know, we're able to do um, with a walk. It's kind of just a pattern that comes back and, you know, quietly letting each other know that we're there with just a smile. So, you, you see a lot of kids... You see a lot of caregivers at the walk. You see a lot of caregivers at other aspects. But what does being an ALS caregiver mean to someone like yourself? Um, and and is that how you think of yourself? Um, I do, but I don't see that I would be anywhere else either. I mean, I know that uh, you know some people are are given this diagnosis, and it can break families apart, or you know, in practice. And I, in our relationship, it's made it that much stronger. Um, so it's really, I do consider myself a caregiver, but I consider myself a wife first and foremost. And, you know, we took our vows seriously, and it, it's for better or worse, you know, in health and in sickness. Um, I left my job, Craig left his career. Intellect um, really does take everything from you. And you can either go down with the ship, or you can forge ahead. And so for Craig and I, we just kind of made this dynamic team, and, you know, we're forging ahead. So 
mean, I consider myself a caregiver. I am the one that takes care of them. Um, we do have a great nursing team that we're finally kind of getting together, and it's taken quite a few years to find a good team of people. Um, for a lot of years, it was just Craig and I, um, prior to him getting the treatment, and some ailing patients might have to deal with this, is that you don't get nursing care if, um, you know, you're not a treatment patient, you might just get aid care. So, um, it ends up just being you and a loved one, whether or not it's a brother, sister, mother, father, spouse, and uncle, um, you know, really... You have to build that team around you. So for Craig and I, we were our first, you know, line of defense, and then we've, we've got some great friends. And um, now with the help of Bayada, we do have, you know, some great nurses that without their help, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be um, where we're at now. So we're grateful for everybody in our lives. And so you're talking about building a caregiving team. You know, we're the principal charity of the Philadelphia Phillies, and when you're a baseball team, everyone has a role to play, uh, whether they're the, the pitcher or first baseman or designated hitter even or the manager. Um, if you're building a caregiving team, do you build on the strengths that people have and people know their roles so they're not all falling over each other to do the same things? Uh, you definitely have to. You definitely um, have to go by what the coach says. And in our instance, you know, Craig is our coach. And, he, you know, even earlier diagnosis, he figured things out for himself. So, you know, whether or not I was teaching him how to stop, how to eat um, with his strength lessening or getting dressed or even telling me how it was easiest to help him. Um, you really have to go by the person. And... Listen, really taking the time to listen to that person. And if you don't take the time to listen to that person, yeah, you're going to fall over yourself. Nothing is going to come out right the way you need it to. And um, in, in hindsight, you may end up hurting the person if you don't take the time to listen. So, I mean, it took Craig and I a long time. It took Craig a long time to um, get nurses that he really trusted um, that could really take care of him the way that he felt safest. talk about building that team and it probably takes time you also talk with other caregivers and ALS patients out there I imagine that building a team often takes time having a good caregiving group doesn't happen overnight right no not at all but we have gone through several nurses and a couple aides and just people that either couldn't listen to you know couldn't understand Craig so they got or some people that um, 
oddly enough, you'll have people that don't like the fact that he can still talk every once in a while, or he can still eat, and he prefers, you know, me to feed him, for example. Some people don't like that, so they would leave for the state. So it really takes um, kind of an open playing field for everybody to just kind of work together, um, understand what Craig likes, and really... I mean, quite frankly, it's, it's what Craig wants. I mean, if our house is cold and he doesn't have a blanket on, but you have a question on, I'm not going to check the heat for you because Craig is comfortable. You know what I mean? And for some people, that wasn't something that they were willing to um, kind of bend for. So it can be very frustrating because, you know, you want to say, well, it's about, it's about patience, but... Um, in home health care, you know, you don't necessarily find that all the time. So it does take, it does take a while, trial and error. It's personalities mixing. Um, you know, Craig has a great male nurse now, um, Adam, that, you know, they can sit there and have guy time with. They can talk sports. They can, you know, watch sports on TV. And, you know, it gives me freedom of watching sports all the time, though I do love sports. And being able to run errands or going to get my nails done or something silly, but Craig trusts him with his life, and that says a lot. Well, and, and that's a good way of putting it. Being a caregiver for someone is putting their life in your hands. So you want to make sure that as a spouse or a loved one that's the primary caregiver, that the person that you're giving that care to understands ALS and is also someone that's a trustworthy, good person that's going to be worth that trust. Yes, exactly. All of those things. And I feel working here at the ALS Association, uh, we talk about... Um, we, we do advocacy together, you and I and Craig and Delaware and in Washington. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is that ALS funding is important because we provide specialized ALS care that if you went out to get general care, that nurse or social worker may be a great person, but might not be able to take on ALS because it's such a unique thing, a very difficult challenge, and you don't necessarily have the time and, or the luxury to wait on someone's learning curve for that. Correct. Correct. I mean, and, and especially with, um, you know, vent care, um, we have found there's, some people that um, have never seen Craig's vents. Um, Craig, for example, wears an inline suction. Some people have never seen that, never have worked with one. Um, Craig has a different kind of um, cough machine, uh, for example. So, I mean, if you have some of these nurses come into your home and they're not used to those things, there's a huge learning curve. And, you know, if the nurse comes from a hospital setting, a hospital nurse does not do respiratory care. And truly, a trace event is respiratory care. So it's not something they would necessarily know. So they may be the best you know, you've ever seen in your life. Right. And that is not necessarily their forte. And you don't want someone just trying to figure out for the first time with the person you care about. You want them to understand what they're doing. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, in some home health agencies, you will not have people that want to learn from the spouse. Now, I can say that, um, you know, Joe Schmo, I won't know anything about what's up in Craig's case. I know everything about his care. So, some people don't necessarily want to learn from me because I'm not a nurse. But, 
in Kirk's case, I'm his best nurse, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, just because I'm with him 24-7, and I know, you know, how he likes the cough done. I know how he likes the function done. Um, his pace in eating, uh, how he likes his life switched. I mean, it's little, very minute things that anyone that's never seen ALS would not understand. Um, or any kind of muscular dystrophy or any kind of disease that, you know, takes away your muscles, there's a certain element of comfort I feel like they're always searching for, but not necessarily getting, even physically, and you have to at least have it mentally so they're comfortable enough to relax and feel safe. And so, you know, like you said, that the person with ALS is the coat you're almost like the offensive or defensive coordinator then, the, the person right underneath them making the putting the plays together and organizing it so that everyone knows the playbook when they come there to be a caregiver as a nurse or social worker or family friend to do what they're doing. Yes, exactly. And in most cases, like, um, you know, with Diana, they'll send people out, um, other health care agencies that people may have, whether or not it's the uh, DNA, if they're, um, you know, with the v, through the VA or however they're through, um, usually work with their nursing coordinators kind of develop a plan, but it's really being hands-on in order to um, see that plan into fruition. It's like, like you said, it's like calling the playbook. And so you're you're developing those those plays, like in a playbook, and... So, but what part of your job as a caregiver, which is, you know, not a paid position, you just happen to end up with it, um, is just involved with planning more than doing? Um, I think any caregiver would say uh, they do, and they learn, and that's how they plan. Because mm-hmm. you're, kind of you're kind of thrown into this. So, it's all trial and error. I mean, especially because ALS, Every case is so different, um, whether or not it's with ALS nurse or whether or not it's fault ALS or, you know, a lower, uh, lower neuron is what's being attacked instead of your upper. It's really trial by error. And, the, you know, the ALS Association can lay out a, front, a foundation of what, what are the possibilities of happening, but the person living with it and how it affects them uh, why they're not as rigorously or slowly in Craig's case, um, and how you develop those actions. Right. And ALS also changes, so you probably work with other people, whether at the chapter, to figure out caregiving skills and techniques, um, or other caregivers that you've met, or nurses like, uh, like Adam um, and others to kind of realize that in the next few months things are going to be a little bit different or you know maybe in a year Craig's going to need this so you can't just expect that the next week or month is going to be the same type of care as it was the last month exactly and I I mean for Craig the first example that we can come up with is one of his Craig's kind of mechanical malfunction so he went from perfectly talking one day to the trace malfunctioning and him not being able to speak at all, um, which is when we kind of super fast-forwarded him getting his SGD, um, because it would be the only way he could communicate 
well. I mean, I can understand them. Some of his other nurses can understand him just mouthing words. Um, but when some nurses are only used to him speaking, him not being able to speak at all is kind of, you know, a big explosion of what's happening, what's going on, what can we do. Um, we're lucky enough that once he had that trick changed out, his voice um, comes in and out. It's all kind of positional with how his trick is in his anatomy at the time. Um, so there's good months and then there's bad months. Then there's ways he's positioned in his chair that he's perfectly um, fine and he gets his lighter voice out or he has no voice. Right. So for us, that was, that was kind of our biggest introduction to a sudden change with ALS um, that you just kind of have to go with. Um, or if it was, you know, the November after he was diagnosed, he finally had, um, actually it was two years after he was diagnosed, he had to final fall. To me, I call it his final fall because after that point, I refused to allow him the potential of getting hurt. So he went from, you know, being able to kind of transition to a chair to us saying, you know, nope, for your safety, we're just going to start using the Hoyer lift. And so... Craig has he's losing his voice and or you and can't speak like he did before. You have to become his voice then, and that's something that's common for caregivers. Correct. I mean, caregivers. I mean, the position of a caregiver can be anything from, like you said, um, their voice to their hands and their feet. Really, um, Craig's wheelchair, for example. I'm really the only one that can drive it, and it you know, kind of becomes second nature. Um, People try to drive it, and I think, oh, it's going to be so easy. <laughs> it's not so easy, <laughs> but, you know, they were. Um, and Craig wants to trust them once they're slowed down to turtle speed. Um, but really, I mean, as a caregiver, you kind of become everything to that person, and there can be patient plots between both parties, um, and you kind of still have to you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going, really. Um, for Craig and I, that's really the only way we ever saw our fight together with ALS is if we didn't do it together, it was going to take us apart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just kind of jumped on board and that was that. So, that you, you jumped on board to be a caregiver right as soon as it was needed. How has the ALS Association helped you to be a caregiver just as much as hopefully helping Craig with his condition? You know, I mean, it, it's everything. I mean, when Craig goes to clinic, as, um, you know, several patients listening and caregivers listening to the podcast can tell you, you know, you, you go and see everybody at once, whether or not it's the nutritionist, the speech therapist, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, um, the psychologist, the practitioners, Whoever the doctor, whoever it is, um, you really touch upon everything, and you're really able to do that. So whether or not it was talking to um, the psychologist and, you know, just being able to vent um, in an open space, or whether or not it was when, you know, Craig started losing his ability to... Um, like buttons, buttons, for example, you know, the occupational therapist showing us, you know, how to use the button hook and getting the button hook from the loaner closet. 
Um, it's everything from the little things like that to the big things like Craig's care, his life. Um, for Craig, when he went into the hospital um, to get his trach, it was under, under an emergency situation. He had a 100% CO2 level, and, you know, two days later, we have a pulmonologist standing in front of us, and he says, you know, you take choice right now. with other at support groups and from going to events, meeting their caregivers, you've learned that the needs of the patients are and the desires of the patients are all different from case to case. Uh, and that really it, the communication between the caregiver and the patient is very important so that those wishes are respected and understood. Yeah. I mean, I could not, um, as a caregiver, take anything personally whether or not it was him having a bad day and him just saying, you know, leave me alone, I don't want anybody near me, or whether or not it was his choice to not get a trait. As a caregiver, you can't take those decisions personal because it's not, it's not a... It's not... I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. It's not a fault on you. But again, you're not the one with the disease. And it took me a while to realize that when Craig was first diagnosed, I mean, it's 14 months to diagnose Craig. Um, and within that 14 months, I learned really quick that I was not the one with the disease. Yeah. So if he was having a bad day, me saying, oh, I know how you feel, is like a slap in the face. You know, because I don't know how he's feeling. And I, uh, there's no way I could ever know what he's feeling. Um, you know, and I think other ALS patients would say that. You can 
smile kindly and say, oh, you know, thanks for your empathy, but you, in your head, you're like, you really have no idea what I go for or what I go through every day. So as a caregiver, that's one of those things that you kind of have to teach yourself is that um, you're kind of there for the ride and you're kind of there to be their number one cheerleader. And, you know, I kind of see myself as that for Craig. I'm his number one cheerleader. I will do anything for him at any point that he needs it done. And whether or not, you know, I want to make myself a cup of coffee, if he needs a contraception, that's going to come first. You know? And, but as a caregiver, you also choose to do those things. Right. So, if you've chosen to do that thing and you've chosen to do, you know, work this fight with um, the patient, then that's what you do. I mean, Craig is still, Craig is my husband. He's not an ALS patient, you know what I mean? Yeah, and exactly. It's more important to talk to a person as a human being more than a, someone that has a disease. We don't want to talk about having statistics here. And hopefully you find that at the events. So that seems. I hope that, that our culture kind of shines through that, you know, we talk about, like I said at the beginning of this, 1,200 people with ALS that we've served at our area. And we say that because we're proud to be able to do it. But the, the number is not as important as those names and who those people are. Exactly. And all of those, all of the, that whole number has a name attached to it. Has right. names attached to it. And, you know, for Craig, he really wants to be able to be out in the community. So it's important for him to do things like hot chocolate and um, the Phillies Festival and the walk. Um, advocacy is, is very important to us because it gives the face to the disease. And if somebody has a question, we can answer it. And we can educate them on, on ALS. I mean, ALS has been around since the 1870s and we still have no cure. Right. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me. It's almost 150 years, and we still have no cure for this disease. Well, um, I, I think that a lot of these events, you know, unless you're actually making the cure happen, like yourself, you, you can often feel very powerless against something like this. I mean, even on a staff level sometimes. So being part of advocacy, being part of an event can make you, can empower you because you actually can feel like you're doing something. You're part of something that's growing and, and making a difference. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, it, it, uh, it gives you a good fun to be able to do all of these things. And he wants to be able to fight for, you know, other patients with ALS. He wants, you know, that's our goal in life is whether or not in Christ's lifetime we ever find a cure in the lifetimes generations beyond us that that's how we find a cure or we don't ever see it again right you know, whatever the case maybe that's what we're striving for and that's what we'll do anything for so do you when now when you go and you meet families like at the walk and at uh, hot chocolate or other events um whether if you said about meeting new families, what do you tell them about either being a caregiver or about connecting with the chapter? Um, you know, as I can only speak as you know the caregiver, um, and for me, it was 
asking lots of questions, um, being of Craig or the ALS Association or looking things up because you're looking something with this diagnosis and looking stuff on the internet and be scared out of their minds. Right. Because I was. <laughs> and you really have to get into, you know, the meat of the issue, which is meeting the doctors, meeting the patients, having hope. I mean, Craig was, like I said, it's a 14-month diagnosed Craig, and, you know, when he was diagnosed, it was like, okay, well, we have an answer. We know what's going on. Can you go home and... And I know I read everything. I don't know if Craig read everything. And it scared the crap out of me. I honestly thought I would be a widow by the time I'm 40, and this is a bunch of garbage, for lack of a better word. And it was not, it was really realizing our own reality and, you know, Craig's progression and having an open line of communication between the doctors, you know, at the clinic, the ALS Association, really having that line of communication with everybody. Um, and I will both say this, I honestly don't know if it wasn't for the ALS Association, she would have gone this far. I mean, Craig has been diagnosed now seven years, um, not including the 14 months to diagnose him, and he's still kicking butt. Right. So, you can't take two to five years as the answer. And Craig's not the only one in the ALS Association, you know. No, I know. In our even that Philadelphia chapter within that same number, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I was just at the walk with you. It's a good seeing you guys, like you said. And um, I see a lot of people who I know that have had ALS for over five years and some over ten years. And I, I'm glad to see them. You know, I, I don't, that's what I want to see is see those same people. I would like to see them not have ALS, but I'd love to see everyone not have ALS. So, um, yeah, exactly. you know, it, it makes it hard to talk about on our end sometimes because we want to be honest, but we don't want to be. You know, we don't want to sell the moon to people unless we can deliver it, too. Exactly. And, that's the, and, and I will say that, that, you know, the ALS Association was very careful about that. It's like, you know, this is what the books say, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen to you. Yeah. So, you know, and that's what I mean when I, I say I'm a case of ALS is different because you can, only, you can only kind of go by a guideline, but, you know, if you're going to be a new you know, arch to that guideline, then, you know, you're going to be different. And you're not going to be part of that statistic. Which is, you know, like Craig's case. So, you you um, you know that everything's different. You know you have to learn a lot. Um, has What's been the biggest learning curve in being a caregiver for you? Because it wasn't something you knew how to do before this happened. It was not. Um, patience is number one. Mm-hmm. And listening is number two. And I can say there's days that, you know, eight years later, I'm still not very good at them. Um, but I think everybody has a bad day. <laughs> um, but really, patience and listening are like first two um, things that you need to learn as a caregiver. And by listening, is, like what I said before, is, you know, have a patient want something done. Or, um, you know, for me, with 
besides being in hospital, um, pregnant in the hospital for six weeks, and I could never leave his side because she, there was no call bell that he could use in the hospital. So it was, you know, watching the nurses, talking to the nurses, asking questions, doing things hands-on, um, trusting me enough to do things hands-on. And that's another thing, I think. Um, the patient needs to trust that the caregiver has them in their best interest. So it's, you know, it's them being comfortable enough um, to allow a caregiver to take care of them. And, you know, I was lucky that we were able to learn that so you are learning together and that's an important thing and I imagine that the other caregivers that you talk to from Adam and the professional caregivers and nurses uh, to family and friends that help out that they're learning together with Craig Craig as a person with ALS is learning you know how they respond to him um, and he's just learning all the time anyway and hopefully yeah. they're all improving as the time goes on certainly not easy and you go through a lot of things physically emotionally um to deal with and i'm sure that maybe it's become easier because now you're just so used to it and, and good at it but um, you don't have an easy job and neither do other caregivers no i don't know it's, it's the hardest job you want to have you know you want to have Things and I think it's difficult for you know a lot of 
caregivers, especially um, intimate caregivers, whether or not it's a mother, father, or spouse, um, when you're there at the battlefield 24-7, it's hard to give yourself that break or trust that if you gave yourself that break, everything's going to be okay. Right. So we're coming up um, on November 13th. We're having our ALS um, annual luncheon. Uh, honoring caregivers, and we have you and Craig on a lot of our stuff, the, the mailing that went out, telling people about it, highlighting what caregivers do. Um, are you looking forward to hearing about hearing from caregivers and being part of it? What are you looking forward to there? Of course. I mean, we, um, everything. Uh, just seeing everybody, being part of it, um, you know, picking some people's brains about, you know, what is new in the world of caregiving, you know, how they do something that's within caregiving. I mean, we, we also do that during advocacy. We sat with um, several of the caregivers um, down in D.C. And, you know, I'll sit there and pick nurses' brains and, you know, when it's easiest, what you to do on the horizon, is there a new event, you know, how do you get, whether that's the cost treatment and how is it easiest for the patient. Um, everything. And, I, you know, I'm, where we were honored to be asked to be kind of the face of the invitation. Um, one of the Kodiashi shirts, uh, it was from the Philly Festival, mm-hmm. and, you know, like you said, Kodiashi has become um, a good friend of ours and a, a good friend of the ALS Association in general. Um, designing that shirt and with the proceeds going to the ALS Association, um, we were honored to be there. And... Uh, Honored to get that message out with the invitation. Dude, um, what's it like knowing on that Cody Ashley, a Philly star, he doesn't—he hasn't done this just because he's with the Philly. I mean, that's why he got involved with ALS. But it is really cool. Like when I saw him at the festival, he said, "Have you seen Craig and Kristen? Are they here?" Like um, he go—he looked out for you. I saw him at the walk, and he, I said, "Oh, you saw Craig and Kristen?" He's like, "Yeah, I saw them. That's great." Like. He knows these people by for, like you on a first name basis. Yeah, I mean for us, you know, just like at the walk, like I said, for him, for Angie and he to take the time to speak us out, say hello, and since we had fifty one hundred people there this year, um, is an honor to us that as, as a baseball star, he wants to be involved. He wants to take the time and. Like you said, Philly's kind of introduced him to it since his rookie year. Craig was the first person, first patient he met. And Craig said, you know, you're my favorite Philly. And Tony's like, me? It's my rookie year, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. He's like, no, you're my favorite Philly. I love the way you play. You're a great player. You remind me a lot of, you know, the great stars of yesteryear. And, you know, you are awesome. And for, that was their instant connection, the two of them. Um. You know, when we were at the Philly Festival, Craig had had a picture taken, um, and he said, uh, you know, I'm going to hang this in my locker. We gave it to him at the Philly Festival. He goes, I'm going to put this in my locker. Now, whether or not he's trying in his locker, I don't know. But I wouldn't doubt him. I mean, he's gone above <laughs> and beyond what he said before. <laughs> I mean, he is just, he's a great, phenomenal guy. I can only hope that, um, other Phillies take note. I, I would hope that other other teams take note of how awesome the Phillies have done for ALS and all the money they raised. 
um, it's just awesome. I and mean, there's no other word for it but awesome. The Phillies are great. Toby's great. The Alex Association is great. It's, uh, there's no other word for it. We're just we're really honored to be part of it. Well, we're honored to have people like yourself who are caregivers get um, a moment of attention that you deserve, um, even if it's just for a day, though it shouldn't be just a day, to, to show appreciation for the many hours and weeks and months and years of hard work and love and compassion that goes into it. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at the annual luncheon, November 13th, at Lowe's Philadelphia Hotel. You can find out about the raffle drawings and more at alsphiladelphia.org slash luncheon. And you can find out more about how to get involved with us in many ways, whether it's joining Kristen and Craig in advocacy or at a walk like Kristen and Craig do or at the festival like Kristen and Craig do or at Hot Chocolate like Kristen and Craig do or any other things that Kristen and Craig do. You can find it all at alsphiladelphia.org um, or on all of our social media channels. So uh, thanks, Kristen. We'll look forward to seeing you at the luncheon. Thank you, Tony, for having me. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there, too. Great.